Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. That's where we're going to be very early in your Bible. Um, And uh, Joshua chapter 10 is where we're going to launch from. We're going to continue talking about prayer, which is what we started talking about last week. And I wanted to start this morning um, by by telling you a little bit of a story. Uh, Right out of of college, I went to be a youth pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, one of the things that you do in youth ministry is you take the kids, um, excuse me, can't say kids in youth ministry, students, um, you take the students for one week of the summer and you take their cell phones away and you take all of their contact from the outside world away and you take them to this thing called summer camp. And, and it's amazing, and it, you, know, you eat a lot of food, you stay up really late if you even go to sleep at all at summer camp, and, uh, and, and it's like a week-long lock-in. Some of you may remember summer camps, some of you may have great memories of summer camps, some of you may have nightmares of summer camps. I have both. Um, I've, I've been a part of some awesome experiences at summer camps, and I've been a part of some not-so-awesome experiences at summer camps, but that's okay. Um, this was the first summer camp that Kristen and I, um, my, my wife and I, decided to do on our own. We, we decided that we weren't going to, you know, go and, and, and be a part of someone else's programming, that we thought, you know, we could handle this whole thing. And so we booked a hotel at, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We laid out our budget. We, we, we got 120-plus students to sign up. We convinced and, and uh, handcuffed and, and, and brought about 40 adults with us. Okay, we, we, had, we had to really convince them um, to, to come with us and help us um, make sure that the students returned from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And, um, and all of this while Bria, our oldest daughter, was a month old. One month old. And so, yeah, nothing's changed. We're crazy. Anyway, um, but, uh, and so we, we, we pulled it off, and the week before we leave, we're looking over some things, and the resort is, is calling me for a, uh, a, another deposit, you know, because it's a week ahead of time and, and, uh, and they, want, they want their money. And you can imagine 160 or so people at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a hotel in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the last week of June. Um, it's pretty expensive. And, uh, and so went to our admin person and said, hey, you know, we got to cut this check. And we realized, again, a week before we were supposed to be going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that we had made a big budgeting boo-boo. Can you say boo-boo from the pulpit? I think you can, okay? A big budgeting error, and found out that we were $21,000 short, not $2,100, $21,000 short. So my, past, my pastor at the time, like any other pastor uh, in this moment, a week ahead of time, freaked out. Okay, <laughs> like, like he fired me twice and and <laughs> in the moment and hired me back. But um, and and so he said, you know, we got to cancel the whole thing. We got to shorten it by a couple of days. We got to make up this twenty-one thousand dollars. And I asked him, begged him, is probably more like it. Um, hey, can can I just have twenty-four hours? Can we just can we have twenty-four hours to see if we can figure this out? And so I called the resort. They were like, "Sure, you can have you know twenty-four hours. What are you, are you going to find twenty-one grand in twenty-four hours?" I said, "I have no idea." Um, and uh, and and so I convinced my pastor. Uh, I left the church office. It was probably ten a.m. or so, and Kristen was working a couple miles down the road. And so I walked in and I said, "You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. The budget was the one thing Kristen and I didn't manage, right?" And, uh, and we let someone else do for us. Um, and uh, 
I walked in. She's like, you're not going to believe this. And, and, um, and she didn't panic. I'm, I'm panicking. My pastor's panicking. Again, I had just lost my job twice in one conversation. And, and I'm panicking. Everybody else at the office is panicking. And Kristen's not panicking. And she looks back at me again like, like Bria was a month old. And so we, we were um, suffering from lack of sleep with our firstborn. And, and she looked back at me. And, and, and I said, why, why are you not concerned about this? And she looked at me and she said, have you prayed about it? And I was, I, 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 I was really tempted to say, well, of course, you know, I've prayed about it. You know, of course, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. Of course I've prayed about it. Um, and, and, she, and she looked at, I, but I didn't. I looked back at her just kind of with a face puzzled. She's like, you haven't prayed about it, have you? And I said, no. No, but we're talking about $21,000 here. Who has $21,000? And she's like, I think $21,000 doesn't scare God, do you? And I was like, I just left. Like, I didn't even say anything to her. Like, what do I say in that moment? I just, wa- I just turned and walked out and was like, all right. And so I um, got in the car at the YMCA in Harrisburg, North Carolina, just north of Charlotte, right behind the Charlotte Motor Speedway for any NASCAR fans that like to watch a bunch of guys turn left um, for a living. And uh, got in my car and I, I prayed this prayer. God, work a miracle. And then, it, and then I even got a little bit more specific. I said, okay, God, I need you to work a $21,000 miracle. So again, it's about 10, 10.30 in the morning. I drive over to a, a guy in our church. And I said, listen, um, here's the boo-boo we made. Uh, you have two students coming next week. Would you, would you pray about what you could give? Because my plan was just to go and start having a bunch of conversations and asking the church to pray with me. Because my wife said... Have you prayed? And so, all right, we're going to get to praying. And he looked at me and said, give me a minute. He walked out of the office, came back, and slid a $3,000 check across the table. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Keep, keep praying. And uh, so then I got in my car and I said, okay, God, good job. Still need an $18,000 miracle. True story. Still need an $18,000 miracle. And he, this guy's name, his name's Garrett McGee. Garrett McGee is a truck driver for a living. At the time, he was a brick mason. Rough as, as rough can get. He had Dylan's red hair. And, uh, and I called Garrett. And I said, Garrett, I just need, he was a new believer. And you know, there's something fun about new believers. They still believe God can do anything. That zeal and that passion. I was like, Garrett, man, you're not going to believe this. And he, and he laughed on the other end of the phone. And he's like, hey, you got 24 hours? And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll call you tonight. He's like, don't make any other phone calls. I'll call you tonight. And then he said, one thing you got to promise me is you can't ask questions. And I was like, buddy, don't, is this going to be legal? And he said, <laughs> he said don't worry. You just keep praying, and I'll call you tonight. At 10 o'clock that night, Garrett calls me. And Kristen and I are sitting in Bria's room with our month-old, enjoying, you know, a moment, and we're just 
coming up with strategies and plans how we could eat Taco Bell every meal while we were in Myrtle Beach as opposed to what we had planned. And my phone rings, and it's Garrett, and I pick up the phone. And he said, are you still awake? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm coming over to your house. I have an $18,500 check for you. And I couldn't even speak. And I start like crying my eyes out and I'm holding my month old and I'm like, God, you worked a miracle. And I hung up the phone and she's like, is Garrett bringing the check over? And I said, yes. I start bawling and Kristen's smiling. She's smiling. I'm like, honey, are you not overwhelmed? And she's like, God's good. God's good. God's good. And, and, we, and she did. The emotion got to her and You know what's incredible about that story? The next week, we saw 53 of those 120 students give their lives to Jesus. Fifty-three. One of them just moved away from here back in August to go back to Liberty University. His name's Chris Seja. He's going into ministry full-time and um, studying for that down at Liberty University. I remember the night in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina that he gave his life to Jesus standing next to a pillar and a wall in a basement of this resort. God worked a miracle. God worked a miracle. A $21,500 miracle. Now, I'm not saying that today, if you get in your car, because some of us need a financial miracle today. Some of us need a relationship miracle right now. Some of us need miracles, and we're sitting here and we're thinking, okay, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, but, but, you know, God, God hasn't done that, you know, for, for me. Um, scripture says we have not because we ask not. And so this morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture where someone's back was up against the wall. And he needed a miracle. They needed a miracle. This army needed a miracle. And I've been back and forth. I've had about two or three messages written this week. And and, and I look like, um, you know, with Valentine's Day, I look like that guy that's trying to write a love letter and he's got a hundred pieces of paper balled up on the floor. um, because, Because I've been... So back and forth, and then about Friday after Friday morning or so, I got some clarity, and and um, and I'm going to preach on a passage that I preached on about six years ago, um, but we're going to look at it a little bit differently uh, this morning. But Joshua chapter 10, verse 7 through 15. And so if you have your Bibles, you can read it with me, and we're going to look at a guy whose back was up against the wall. Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands, nor a man of them shall stand before you. So, real real quick, let's pause and let's give some background here for just a second. Joshua was a remarkable man. If you remember Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. He was Moses' aid at the time. And then Moses, you know, um, God comes to, to, to Joshua and says, hey, Moses, my servant is dead. Guess what? You're going to lead all these people. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. And so Joshua was a remarkable man given an incredible responsibility. Remarkable man. 
He grew up to experience firsthand uh, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. He saw the miracles of God all over that thing and trusted God. He spied on the land with Caleb, came back with a message of faith that God would surely help them seize the promised land. Uh, But the majority won that day, gripped by fear, so Joshua was thrown into 40 years of unnecessary wandering in the desert. Yet he kept his faith in God. No complaining. No blaming God. And eventually God chose him, like I was saying in Joshua chapter 1, to succeed Moses and take the nation into Canaan. Joshua had to lead his men to fight their way into the promised land. But he never doubted God's promise to Israel. And we read here in Joshua 10, Joshua chapter 10, that five Amorite armies were planning to attack. But Joshua went for a preemptive strike. He led his entire army on an all-night march towards the enemy's camp under the cover of darkness so that they could launch a pre-dawn surprise attack. The distance from Gilgal to Gibeon is about 40 kilometers, and it takes two or three days on on a leisurely pace, but Joshua's army covered the same distance in one night. And the long night march took the enemy completely by surprise. When the enemy lines broke, the Amorites started to flee into the valley. God got into the battle in verse 11, where we read, uh, and and pick up from from, um, verse 9, so Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, again 40 kilometers, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord drew, excuse me, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Isn't that incredible? There were more that died from the hailstones that God threw down than were killed by Israel with the sword. God got into the battle. As the sun set towards the horizon, Joshua knew that the time was up. Once it got dark, the enemies would slip away. So he utters this outrageous prayer in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, um, At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. What an outrageous prayer. Sun stands still. God, work a $21,000 miracle. God, save my marriage. God, help, you know, draw my kids to You that they, that they might meet You and believe in You and trust in You. He uttered this outrageous prayer. But notice, it wasn't a private prayer. It was a public prayer before all of the people. And if you think this is too ridiculous, look at verse 13. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. God answered his prayer without delay. God answered his prayer without delay. There's three things that I want to point out to you from this passage this morning that I believe we can apply to our lives looking at the life of Joshua here in his sun standstill prayer. 
Number one, dare to say God-sized prayers. Dare to say God-sized prayers. Joshua has the audacity here to ask God to do something, not just miraculous, but unbelievable and unprecedented. The fact that he would even think of this is remarkable. The fact that he would even think of this is remarkable. Faith knows no limits because with God, nothing is impossible. Joshua believed in a big God. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked God for the impossible? Have you ever asked God for the impossible in your life? Does does your unbelief limit what God can do for you? That is, you believe God only for the achievable, the believable. And so you pray only decent prayers, prayers that are more reasonable. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he didn't stretch out his hand to help Jesus get on board. Instead, he asked to be allowed to do the same, to walk on the water and get to where Jesus was. James says in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What would it look like if we gathered together and we prayed because Elijah was a man just like us? God, don't let it snow anymore this year. No more ice. 50 degrees and above. Right? Prayer is the arena. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is the arena where our faith meets God's abilities. I'll say it again. Prayer is the arena where our faith meets God's abilities. We can pray prayers worthy of the God that we're praying to. See, we worship the same God as Joshua. We worship the same God as Peter, who's standing in the boat looking at Jesus walk on the water. We worship the same God as Elijah. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and these guys had the audacity to pray prayers that lived up to God's mighty power and glory, shouldn't we, couldn't we do the same? What's your God-sized prayer? What's the prayer that you've been praying that you've been cautious about? Okay, well, I really, I gotta, you know, I, I really need this, but God, if you'll just do this, that's satisfactory. Have you thought about who you're talking to? God, God I really. God, I'd really love to see this, but if you'll just make this happen, it'll be okay. Could it be that we're not seeing as much of God's greatness because we've been making timid prayers? What's your audacious prayer? What's your sun stand still prayer? What's your God-sized prayer? Prayer. Joshua here prays a God-sized prayer. God, will you make the sun stand still? Will you make the moon? Because he knew that if that sun went down and the moon came up, they would lose. Dare to say God-sized prayers. Number two, cling on to God's promises. 
Why was Joshua so bold in this moment? Because he knows God. Because he knew the will of God. During the march, God spoke to Joshua and gave him purpose. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Joshua believed what God had promised him. It was God's will to defeat the enemy, and he wants to see God's purpose fulfilled. He wants to see God's purpose fulfilled. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 says this, Therefore, anyone who hears, uh, excuse me, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the, ste- the streams rose, and the winds blew against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Joshua's faith in God came through knowing God. And to know Him, we need to hear Him. That's why when we talk about prayer, we don't talk about prayer as just communicating with God because that sounds kind of one-sided, right? It's more of a communion with God. We talked about uh, prayer definition last week. Constant communion with God is how we would define prayer. This, this, this idea that it's, it's a two-way communication, that we are, are, are walking with God. We're doing life with God. I can communicate with God. With, um, with Dylan, I can communicate with Russ, I can communicate with you, but then we could commune together, we could walk together, we could share our deepest thoughts with each other, and it's so much sweeter. So much sweeter. So, dare to say God-sized prayers, cling on to God's promises even when you're backed in the corner because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then number three, Get this, don't stand in hope, walk in faith. Don't stand in hope, walk in faith. It would, be, it would have been such a different day at the office down in North Carolina if I would have said, you know what, camp's ruined. We made a mistake, the budget was messed up, camp's canceled. Right? It would have been such a different day if I would have just gone and Kristen would have just said, you know, oh, Travis, that's a, that's a bummer. It's okay. You'll get him next time, Tiger. You know? But that's not, that's not what happened. Right? It would have been such a different story if I would have just sat there and said, you know, oh God, why are you picking on me? You know, why, why this? Why not? Why in my first year? Why, you know, why, why, you know, if I would have just, if I would have just stood in, in hope, right? Or just, just sat there and, and complained. But I didn't. I was challenged. I was pushed. See, so, so many of us, we want a miracle. We need a miracle. We're asking God for a miracle. But we're sitting. We're waiting. And God is answering, right? You've heard the story of the, the guy that fell out of the boat in the ocean. It says, God, will you save me? Boat comes by and says, hey, do you need a hand? Nope, God's going to save me. Right? The guy dies, he goes to heaven. God, why didn't you save me? I sent a boat, you dummy. Right? Maybe the answer to your prayer has been right in front of you. 
Maybe the answer to your prayer has been right in front of you. Have you ever done that with God? God, God, will you do this? And then He answers and we miss it. Don't stand in hope. Walk in faith. See, we can pray and stand in hope. In other words, we do nothing and we just wait and hope that God's will, God will show up and do something. It's amazing to see the extent of human effort involved in this battle. It's amazing to see the extent of human effort involved in this battle. Get this. Joshua's army made an overnight long march. They were exhausted straight into battle that lasted all the way until the next sunset. And then he asks for the Lord to stay the sun for another full day. Can you imagine how tiring this was? Even though God was with them, had given them the promise of victory, and was personally involved in the battle, it did not free them from personal commitment. They had to fight the war. They had to sweat it out. For nights and days, they had to pay a price. Success doesn't come easy. Even with God's presence and promise. You know the part of that story that I'll never forget? And my pastor and I will... We've worked this out since, but... I walked back in the next day. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody that night that, I got, that Garrett called me. I walk into the next day and I show my pastor the two checks and I, I'm expecting him to just go through the roof and all excited and all that stuff. See, we didn't have a budget for the youth. Even, I mean, we didn't have a budget. I had to raise everything, our entire budget. God had to raise our entire budget. And I expected him to be so happy and so, so proud of me. You know what I mean? Like, hey. You know, like I did anything. Um, and he looked back at me and was, was mad. He was frustrated. He was upset. And I was, I was so bummed out because I'm like, God, God did this. God, you, you know, this is going to be incredible. And he said, well, now that's $21,000 that we don't have access to as a church because our youth got it. <laughs> I wanted to give him the five-fold ministry right then and there, <laughs> but I didn't because I didn't want to get fired for a third time that week. But isn't it amazing that even when God moves in your life, people still want to be negative? People still want to say, oh yeah, but that's where we cling to God's promises. Walk in faith. Don't stand in hope. There's a book that's written all about the sun stands still prayer. And in it, the author writes this. It's human nature to want to skip straight from the promise to the payoff. Who doesn't want to get right to the good stuff? But the process is invaluable. The process is a time of strengthening. The process is a place where you lay down your pride and learn to rely totally on God. Most importantly, the process is the way that we grow to know God. And that's really the whole point. One of my major irritations is when someone spoils the plot of the movie I was planning to see. Because when they tell me that the dude... 
dies at the end or that the boy gets the girl or that the team wins the championship or whatever, it ruins the experience. See, if I just wanted to know the outcome, I would have read the plot summary on Wikipedia. But that's not the goal when you see a movie. You want to feel the tension and suspense. You want to wonder whether the good guy wins or the relationship works out. The plot is the point. What if the same dynamic that makes the plot the point of a movie applies to our relationship with God? Is it possible that the process isn't just a time waster or a commercial break? Have you ever considered that in the overall scheme of God's design, the process is the point? If all God wanted to do was get right to the happy ending, you'd be in heaven by now. If His only intention were to make your dreams come true, He'd snap His fingers and your vision would appear out of thin air. But that's not all God wants. And deep down, it's not really all you want either. You want to learn to walk by faith, not by sight. And you can't learn that without walking through periods of complete darkness. The apprehension and gut-level fear you'll feel in these stages may make you turn back and pursue something safer. Or you can opt for something better. You can embrace the process with audacious faith. Because every big dream has small beginnings. Between the promise and the payoff, there's a process. And that process is the breeding ground of faith. That process has the potential to draw you closer to Jesus than you've ever been before. The process is the point. So what's the process that you're walking through right now? What's the process you're walking through right now? Would you dare to say a God-sized prayer? Would you dare to cling on to the promises of God? Would you walk in faith and don't stand in hope? See, if we apply this to us today, we're walking through our processes of, as a church. We're walking through our processes as a church. This is a process. And it's tempting to kind of look around and say, oh yeah, you know, like Russ said this morning, this should not work. Aside from the grace of God and humility, this shouldn't be happening. Half of you, if not more, because it's the early service, shouldn't be here right now. You should be in that building that's 2.1 miles down the road. But the process is the point. And God is doing something unbelievable in our midst. He's working a miracle. And if we trust Him and embrace the process, He's going to do incredible things in this city. The worship team is going to come and they're going to sing that song again, God of this city. Because greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city. And so that's the church side of things, but what about you? What about your family? What's the God-sized prayer that you're praying right now in your life? God, would you save my brother? God, would you save my son? God, would you save my daughter? God, would you save my mom? Would you save my dad? God, would you work a miracle in their life? God, have you seen my bank account lately? Would you work a, a miracle in the way that I steward my finances? God, my marriage is on the ropes. God, my relationships are broken. God, would you work a miracle in my relationships? Would you work a miracle in my relationships? And that day, 
God happened to snap His fingers for me and work a miracle. But I can promise you and I can tell you story after story after story where that was not the outcome. Will you embrace the process with your God-sized prayer? Dare to say, God-sized prayers. Not timid prayers. Not things that you can do on your own. You know, I say this about vision. If people aren't laughing at your vision, it's not big enough. If people aren't laughing at your prayer, it might not be God-sized. It might be Paul-sized. It might be Mindy-sized. It might be Veronica or Brian-sized. What's your God-sized prayer? Would you cling to the promise of God that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And He hears you. And walk in faith in that. Walk in faith in that. It may take years, but walk in faith. Don't stand in hope. Will you pray with me?